Hey everyone, welcome to this edition of the e-commerce insights podcast. I'm your host, Scott DeGrossier, founder and CEO of Wicked Reports. Today I have with me Jessica Totillo Coster. Did I pronounce that right, by the way? Totillo. It's okay. Totillo. Totillo. <laughs> That's much better than what I flubbed here. <laughs> she is an e-commerce and email marketing strategist for boutique owners and product-based businesses, which I know we have a lot of. So that's why I was excited to have her. She supports scrappy entrepreneurs, which that's the only kind in my opinion, and focuses on actionable steps and strategies for traffic, sales, and profit in e-commerce stores. I know a lot of you need that. One very interesting fact, she spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure e-com store. I'm honestly not sure how she's still here with us today. That's amazing. So she's going to share what she learned the hard way so that you don't have to go through that grind. So thank you so much for being on and welcome, Jessica. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Scott. What an awesome introduction. Excited to chat today. On your website, it says you're the e-commerce fairy godmother. <laughs> and I was like, I just pasted in. I was like, who doesn't want a godmother? Like, yeah. how did you come across that as like your, your branding statement, so to speak? Where did that come from? Yeah, I'm honestly not sure that I remember exactly where it came from. I feel like one of my clients maybe said it to me once and it just kind of stood out. And I think about like, I like to think I bring a little magic to my clients, you know, I really focus on giving them the tools they need to make more educated business decisions. So it's not exactly a horse and carriage, but I, I think, I think it's not too shabby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your domain e-commerce badassery. I loved it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. That, that's actually the second business name. It took me a really long time to land on it. But when I did, I was like, oh, like, duh, this is it. This is what I'm doing. These are my people. It, yeah. it, it speaks, you know, you're really going to like that. Are you going to, it's going to turn the right people away. Most importantly, I think, I mean, I, yes. I loved it. So I, I'm the right person for you, but I was like, <laughs> oh, I, I, you took the stand, you know, like, yeah, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be like e-commerce profits. <laughs> you're like, right. yes, 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 exactly. So if no one wanted, was going to have time to listen to us blab, what would be the most important thing you'd tell us either about digital marketing or life or, or both? Yeah, it would be that your business is not about you. Your business is about your customer and what your products can do for them. And I think if we can approach our marketing, our operations, how we communicate, if we can approach everything from that lens of what does this do for them, we're going to win. If I'm looking, if I need e-commerce badass threeness, <laughs> what's that? What are you feeling in the market? Well, I come in there and I'm like, man, what is it that you're you're going to get? What am I going to get for the services? What's the... What's yeah, the, what's the pain you heal. Yes, absolutely. So the the people that I tend to work with and who I can support the best, right? They've already found organic product market fit. If you're super beginner, the only thing I'm going to tell you is get on social more, right? And partner with some people. But when you've hit that, you know, six figure, multiple six figure mark because you have a really great product um, and you're getting in front of the right people. But you kind of get to this like plateau of you're like, oh, I'm not really sure what to do next. That's kind of where I slide in and I focus on three main things. 
understanding your numbers and all of those analytics and like, what does this actually mean? Uh, two is your email marketing, because I don't understand how so many e-commerce businesses are not taking advantage of the power of email. And then third is SEO. So those seem to be the three main things that the average e-com entrepreneur just doesn't know, right? Or they just don't know what they don't know. So I, I want to dive into each one of those. So I am glad I asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. I come in, you know, I, I, maybe my store is made up to hundred K a month and then plateaued. And now I'm all stressed out because like Facebook's not working as well for various algo drama, dramatic reasons, which we'll yeah. talk about later. So like what, where, where do you start? Like you come in, they got Google analytics, undoubtedly they got their Shopify stats. Yeah. Where do you, where do you go to make sense of it all? Yeah. So I definitely start in Google Analytics, assuming that they have it attached with e-commerce tracking turned on because most of them do not because they don't know that it's an extra button they have to press. And what I find is so many people will get caught up in their conversion, right? My website doesn't convert. How do I get more people to convert? And when you go and look at the numbers with the average e-com store converting somewhere around one to 3%, conversion's not the problem. Traffic is the problem. So I think there's this misconception of, you know, e-com is a numbers game. Like if you're super, super niche, then yes, you can have less traffic and you will have higher conversion for sure. But the more general you get, the more traffic you need because the lower your conversion is going to be. It's just the way it is. And the first step is to really one, identify that and then figure out which marketing channels are driving your traffic and conversion right now. So for instance, I'll see a lot of times where maybe people spend a lot of time on Pinterest and while, you know, not to like poo poo Pinterest, but mm. it brings a lot of looky loos, not people ready to buy. So you get a lot of traffic and really crappy conversion where on a Facebook or an Instagram or organic and SEO, that converts so much higher. So, you know, as an independent entrepreneur, you have limited time and resources. So double down on what works, spend less time on the things that don't, you don't have to like eliminate them. But if you choose to post a pin on Pinterest or post a post on Instagram, and you know, Instagram gets you more revenue, well, like, post more on Instagram and less on Pinterest, right? And so it's just kind of identifying those little things of where to focus your time better. I love it. I mean, at Wicker Reports, we're always saying, you know, it should be a layup for us to find places you're wasting money in your ad spend if you're spending, mm -hmm. you know, at least 500 bucks a day or something, because you should be testing and then some of those tests aren't going to work. Right, <laughs> so exactly. If everything looks pristine, then you're not pushing the pedal to the metal enough. Like you got to fail yeah. to succeed as Lame as that saying is, is true, unfortunately. Uh, so email marketing, yeah. So, I mean, you drive the traffic. You, I mean, is, is your strategy, I guess, so with email, do you look at like what they're doing at top of funnel to, the, to even get, before we even get into the emails to convert, how much like budget do you want people to have at top of the funnel and what e-com strategies, I mean, because everyone is really concerned with top of the funnel, particularly right now, almost more than ever. What do you recommend on top of the funnel that's going to then hopefully convert with this great email marketing? Yeah. Well, generally, I will challenge them a little bit on why they are so concerned about top of funnel, right? Not that we don't need new customer acquisition. We absolutely need that. But 
So much effort goes into that top of funnel and getting those new people. And then we're not paying attention to keep them around, right? So if we spend more time on retention, you don't need as much acquisition depending upon your ultimate goals, right? Some of us are, we're just kind of chasing the carrot. Like what's the next revenue number that I can hit? And some of us just want to create a sustainable business that supports our families and that we can sort of run a little bit on autopilot and that's okay too. So first I'm going to really ask them kind of what is your goal and what are you trying to accomplish and what do you want this business to look like? Like none of us got into entrepreneurship to create another job. (laughs) We might as well just go work for someone else because this entrepreneurship thing is hard, right? So like, let's create a business that we actually want to have. And what does that look like? Um, you know, putting a number on the acquisition piece, mm, I'm probably not going to do that. It really just depends so much. And I would refer someone to someone who does like executes a lot of ads, which is not me to really, you know, finalize that number. But I think that we, depending upon where you're at in your business, You know, the newer you are, the more you focus on acquisition, the longer you've been in business, the more you focus on retention. And then it also depends on the life cycle of your product. So if you sell mattresses, you need to focus on acquisition. If you sell a consumable product, then I would lean more towards retention. Does that even answer your question? Um, mostly. (laughs) Kind of, right? It was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I went off on a little tangent. That happened. You you were vibing. So (laughs) it was still a good knowledge bomb. So, you know, that's all that matters. It's it's the journey towards e-commerce enlightenment is what we're after here. Yes, I (laughs) love it. precise steps. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So, because I mean, I feel like sometimes, you know, you could have these beautiful email sequences, but you're buying crappy traffic. The people might be wonderful people, but crappy leads for a particular business. Yeah. So absolutely. how do you try to um, ascertain that? Like, So you get your email stats and there you look at them and you say, oh my God, I'm only converting this horrible amount. Yeah. Um, so that's... What's that's, your like triage process? Yeah, that's where it starts by looking by channel, right? Because like we were talking about earlier is one platform can be might be converting really, really well and another one is not. And so you really have to diagnose them independently of one another. So if someone comes to me and let's say, you know, if they have a conversion rate at 1% or more, generally I'm telling them it's a traffic problem, not a conversion problem. But if their conversion is low then the first thing I'm going to do is go look at it by channel and really figure out, okay, so we know this channel is not converting. And then we have to dig deeper on that in particular and figure out, is that the right audience? Um, And I'll give an example. This is more of SEO organic example, but, and I don't remember who the business was. It wasn't a client of mine. It was someone else in the space who told this story, but I retell it because it's so good is this person was selling like gift packs for kids going off to college, right? And they, she was calling them college survival kits. But what was happening was she was getting all these doomsday preppers that were landing on her site because Google didn't, they heard, you know, survival kit. And that's what was coming up for these people. So it was the wrong audience, right? Yeah. That's not what she was looking for. So it's really important that you look by channel and diagnose that way. And the rarely is the problem your emails. I think the biggest issue I see is just not having them. 
it's not necessarily the emails themselves, but like you said, the people who are going through them. So it it happens before the email step. It happens at the traffic step. Makes a lot of sense. So when you're looking at an email, so let's say you break it down and like, okay, the email's converting so-so everywhere. Where do you try to move the needle? Like what's your like process to say, let's fix this email funnel. Uh, This cop, is it a copy thing? Is it a, I mean, it could be anywhere, right? It could be the call to action. It could be the offer. Sometimes, you know what I find? People just have a crappy offer. (laughs) (laughs) Like they're trying all these things. It's like the offer is just not good. Because like, if I'm a subscribed to an email, I'm going to try to be zero inbox. If I'm getting emails, it's because like, I still want to be sold or I I still have interest. I'm still keeping on, keeping it on my radar. That's why I'm keeping the emails coming in. And so the offer just hasn't made me pull the trigger yet. Right. It could be a lot of things, right? Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it from the customer perspective. (laughs) Yes. I love this. And that goes back to what I said in the beginning, right? The business is not about you. It's about them. So if you're sending your customers irrelevant content that they don't care about or products that they don't care about, it's not going to convert. Like you can have the best subject line, the best copy, the most beautiful imagery, right? The biggest button with the biggest text, like doesn't matter if it's irrelevant to them, they're not going to convert. So You know, when you're in a niche business, you don't necessarily have to worry about this as much because all of your customers are buying the same thing. But the wider your assortment is, the more customer avatars you have, the more specific your content needs to be. And that's where you really need to understand who you're selling to and why they're buying from you. What is the outcome that they're looking for? And you need to segment them when necessary, but you know, I'm not a fan of hyper segmentation because you waste too much time and miss opportunity, which we can talk more about that. Um, but it's you know segmentation and speaking the customer's language, and those are two things that I think we like. We just don't want to take the time to do it because it's more work <laughs> and it's not fun. It's just I didn't get the entrepreneur to work. yeah but here's the thing is when it like with automation for instance like once you figure that out and you dial it in like it's a one and done ish right like you don't you have to check back and make tweaks as you learn more but for the most part that stuff works on autopilot for you and then when it comes to the campaigns like yeah you have to test a bunch in the beginning but like once you nail it and you know what your customers like everything it's just easy going forward. And a lot of times we just overthink it and make it harder than it needs to be. Yeah. I mean, we that happens in our own marketing funnel right now. So it's interesting. We're like, <laughs> we already get into the cool technical features and it right at the top, it's not saying what the hell we do. Like yeah. we track ads yeah. to lifetime value. That's what it should say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not affected by iOS. Read there more or book a call, <laughs> but it doesn't. It, get, it was close, but it's like we, internally as a team, we talk about the stuff so much that we, you know, we weren't in the seat of the customer, uh, potential prospect, I should say. Yeah. So that that's interesting that um, you know, that that mindset that we need. So then SEO, the the thing that I always like. So we we set up Ahrefs. We put someone on the case because our health score was like, I don't know, 60 something. We had all kinds of bad stuff going on. 
So then we got the score up to 95. So we're feeling good about that, but it still seems like, okay. So like, does that mean we're suddenly going to get all this flood of traffic? Like it's such a delayed gratification thing. So it's tough. No one likes delayed gratification. Like our software is delayed gratification and people don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) They put up with it because they need it, but they don't like it. So like, how do you, you, like with a busy e-commerce entrepreneur, they got all these challenges. Like, how are you going to hang in there for that delayed, like, oh, SEO. Yeah, I got to build links. Oh, Jesus. That sucks. Like, uh, it's not fun. Like now our brand, like we get enough backlinks magically from people pointing to our stuff, but that took seven years to get to there. Yeah. Like, how do you how do you get people to do it? I mean, how do you, and then how much of it's the link building over the content over like the link yeah. tree or so I see those emails from HubSpot. I get motivated for a little bit. Then I'm like, how, when's it ever going to pay off? So I, I don't. Right. Yeah. Totally fair. You're not alone. Here's how, like if I'm speaking to a client and this is why like having a name like e-commerce badassery and the way my content is on social, like, you know, pretty early on whether you want to work with me or not, because what I'm going to tell you is you need to just put on like your big girl or boy panties and wait for it to work. Right. But the sooner you do it, the sooner you see the results and to remind us all that it is free. Yes, you have to spend a little time, energy, effort, and some money if you're going to outsource it in the beginning, but it will continue to serve, 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 and serve you well beyond for years to come, right? So I usually focus on on site, the content, on site SEO, on page SEO. And because who I'm working with, that just makes more sense for them than trying to go and build out links, right? Because really the best way to do that is you have relationships um, and you're not just like spamming your link all over the internet because like there is uh, a value of how good that backlink is based on the site that it's coming from, right? So Mm -hmm. like not all links are good links. So I really like to focus on the on-page content. And the easiest way to think about this, and just like the example you had, is what is the customer typing into a search engine to find a product like yours? That's it. You doing SEO is you partnering with search engines, most likely Google, because it is the biggest one, but partnering with search engines to help them help their people, the searchers, find what they're looking for. That is all the search engine is trying to do. Just like with Instagram and Facebook, their number one goal is to keep their platform, keep people on their platform longer, right? Search engines want to get results to their people quicker and they want them to be good, accurate results, giving a really great experience. So when you think of it from that perspective, all you got to do is ask yourself, what is the customer searching for related to my product and to find a product like mine? And then you create content that matches that in the form of blog posts or content on your collection pages, your product titles, that kind of thing. And then you have to think about like your meta titles and descriptions, which yeah, they're for SEO, but it's really to entice the person to click through your result compared to everyone else's result. So it's not hard You just have to put yourself in the mind of the customer, just like you would for any old marketing, really. So if I get that, wait for it to work. But if I get that like nice page title, this is the wait, right? Like I get it all optimized. 
And then I'm still 64th in the ranks. Because <laughs> like, it takes, yes, but it takes time. It takes time. So, you know, if you're doing SEO when you first start, like you're not going to see anything from that at minimum six months before you really see anything and probably longer than that for it oh. to be like true value. I know it sucks, but it's just the name of the game. Like it just is. I was reaching for my beverage here and I realized I don't yeah. have any booze up here. <laughs> I realized I was like, oh, I just have a friggin' seltzer. <laughs> yeah. Bummer. Sorry. Like, here's the thing. When when you do SEO right, right, it takes time. When you try and hack it, maybe it happens faster, but that's when, you know, Google releases an algorithm change and all of a sudden you lose all your rankings because you weren't mm-hmm. doing things the right way anyway. So this is slow and steady wins the race. Think of the tortoise and the hare. Like that is the way SEO goes. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like you you still got to do all the other things to market your business. And then the SEO is there to support you. Just like I like to think of email as like the catch-all of all your other marketing activities. Like SEO is kind of the backbone, but you still need to do all the other stuff. And you just got to wait. Sorry. I don't you have a better answer wait. than that. Well, I'm glad you keep... You, you, if you did have that magical hack, you probably would just be selling that method as a PDF. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I would be one of those people with like my rented Lamborghini in the background of my video. I have like the number one hat for (laughs) e-com. Yeah. 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 The Lambo guys. There's still the Lambo guys out there. And and yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's any like Lambo ladies. I feel like, I don't know, maybe female intuition is like, this is BS. I ain't doing it. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. I don't, I have never seen a Lambo lady. No, neither have I. There should be one. It would be, it would go viral. People like, oh my God, there's a Lambo lady. (laughs) Lambolady.com. I mean, maybe I'll get that domain. Have my wife prance around. (laughs) There you go. I think I'm going to be the Lambo lady and just be like the Lambo lady who was anti Lambo guy and just call out all the BS. Like that's what I always do. I have a podcast and when I have guests on, I always ask them to tell me about something that like totally failed because nobody talks about that, right? Like we're all talking about like the super quick win. This is all so easy. Run ads tomorrow. You'll be a millionaire. Such crap. Um, And I'm really not about that. So I I find uh, 80% of ads fail and 20% (laughs) is where you make all the money. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've looked at, I've looked at, I'm not kidding, but a couple billion in ad spend we've tracked and, Particularly top of the funnel, like people take time to convert and it's hard to find that juicy audience that's going to buy repeatedly or buy for the higher order values or be profitable. So you got to constantly test, but then you get in there and it's very psychologically demoralizing because you work hard on landing page, pretty, (laughs) think you got a good ad, you run it and like no one gives a shit. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, ah, what happened? Like, it's not like you can't just download a freaking swipe file and be rich. That's just ridiculous. Like people love swipe files. I'm so anti-swipe file, even though they're actually good. I think that's good to get you going to try, but I can't stand them. And all my SaaS masterminds, everybody, oh, I got all these swipe files. They love them. We always like, we don't argue, like we're all supporting (laughs) each other. I'll be like, you guys in your swipe files, man. Oh my God. Yes. I hate, I hate swipe files and I have 
people in my audience ask me for them all the time for email, like um, automation. I say, here's the thing. Just because this particular copy works for this business does not mean that it's going to work for yours, number one. And number two, when you, because this is how my brain works, I've met a lot of other people like this. When I see something written out, it becomes the only way I can think to say that thing, right? And I like lose my creativity and my ability to speak to my audience. And it's like, I can't customize it because I just keep going back to that thing that I saw, which is part of the reason why I hate swipe files. Yep. I can't stand them. And furthermore, like the cool thing about life, right, is, is is it progresses forward. Everything changes. The market moves. The customer's mindset changes. What was a cool offer isn't so interesting. Like it's a point in time that may or may not start. It might still work, but then the more swipes that get bought, eventually people are going to just on some subconscious level, it's not going to work because they're going to have seen it too many times from too many other people. So I guess maybe if it was the world's greatest swipe and you were the customer one, (laughs) you used it first in your niche. Maybe you're fine. I don't know. Yeah. So um, you had this thing in your bio about three years as the only employee of a seven-figure e-commerce store. To me, that is just amazing. I mean, (laughs) because... Is that the word? Well, because the the amount of just things to do go up as the revenue increases. It's not like, oh, now Mm -hmm. I can relax. It's, 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 it's harder more challenge. It's more rewarding money-wise, obviously, but there's just more. Everything's more. 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 How did you, how how did you do that? I I just don't, just tell me the story as much as you want to share. Cause I'm just like flabbergasted by that. Yeah. So I'll start off by saying I cried a lot at that job. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not surprising. So I worked for this retail company in their marketing department for their brick and mortar. And we had about 13 stores at the time. And then we had a a white label e-commerce commission site that we literally did nothing with. Like if people searched it, maybe they found it, but we never pushed traffic to it. And then we decided, okay, we should bring e-commerce back in-house. And we just created this whole e-commerce division. And now at that point in time, you know, I had been in retail 20 plus years, had my own brick and mortar store. Like I know the things. Um, I had other e-com experience. So they made me the you know manager of the division sweet with a part timer who packed and shipped orders cool this is fun love it um and when we first set it up because i was still working my existing position they had like a consultant come in and set the initial website up and we were on magento and they were using a developer in india that was like so hard to communicate with the time difference and all of that. And they hard coded everything. So I couldn't edit anything myself. Hard coding. Oh, so bad. (laughs) Um, And then, so I think we worked that way probably about a year or so. And I think our website was down more than it was even up to like make sales. Right. And in the meantime, I'm still like doing email and social for the brick and mortar, like marketing piece of the business. I took that over with me. Yay. Um, I love wearing a lot of hats, but this was a little ridiculous. And then we had a new chief technology officer come in 
And he was like, this is ridiculous. This is not going to like work. And he got us moved over to Shopify, which was like, oh my God, thank you so much. Right. So we were Mm. on Shopify plus we did the migration. We did the whole custom theme build, which is a total waste of time. Don't do that. You don't need to. Um, And then you just end up with some of the same problems. Right. And for, I was still like the only employee, but we started bringing on some consultants. So like, I still had to do all the work. I still Mm -hmm. ordered all of my own product, uploaded everything, did the product descriptions, did the email, the social, all the things. Um, But we had some higher level consultants to give us some more specific strategies and helping us optimize the website and things like that. And so it was during that time while I still cried because I had so <laughs> I had more work to do, right? Because now not only do I have like the VP of retail who was my immediate boss and the chief technology officer and all of these consultants like telling me what to do. Oh, so I had all of this work, but I learned so much and I wouldn't take any of it back. I probably wouldn't do it again, but I would would not take any of it back. And so really realizing one, I think my biggest lesson was standing up for yourself when working with consultants and developers, especially not to say like developers are all out to get you, but they are looking for the easiest, fastest, quickest way to do it right now. And that's to hard code everything so that you can't edit it or fix it later. And then you're dependent (laughs) on them and it's really terrible. Um, but also, you know, SEO strategy and all of this other stuff. So that's what that experience was like. Um, I'm so grateful for it. And taking everything I learned there, that's why I say like, I'm teaching my audience everything I learned the hard way during that time so that they don't have to. Because, I mean, we could have been successful a lot faster had we, you know, invested sooner Maybe I should have, I probably should have spoken up more like, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? I spent so much time struggling to get things done because I'm like one human. Uh Yeah. So (laughs) it's, it was quite the whirlwind, but you know, I, I just left there in September of 2020. I'm still consulting with them on some really big integration projects and things that we were working on. And, you know, I'm, I'm so excited to say that I left it better than I found it. And they're, you know, on their way to greatness. So it's, it was a joy and also terrible. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, Yeah, my pleasure. One thing that you mentioned a couple of times in your site or whatever was about average order value. So did you learn that as an employee there, how important AOV was and Or was that something you picked up after that job? Yeah. No, I mean, that's really something just coming from retail, right? Like that's something you do in a retail store. And one of the things that I always tried to do with e-commerce was how can I recreate the in-person experience on the internet, right? There's a reason why that in-person experience is so great. And so one of the ways that you can do that is focusing on helping the customer find what they're looking for. And the the outcome of that is a higher AOV, right? And so my favorite way to do that is with a cross-sell app. 
Um, and it's amazing to me how many people are not using these. And I know a lot of the time it's because they hate pop-ups, right? And they don't want pop-ups on their site because they're obnoxious. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, they're obnoxious, but the data tells us that they work. So we kind of have to get out of our own way a little bit when it comes to that. And don't make business decisions based on your personal preferences. Make yes. business decisions based on the, what the data is telling you and what your customer is telling you. So an example of that is, you know, they buy product A and then you have a complimentary product B. And I like to keep it around 20% of the retail price of product A. Like don't ask them to double what they were planning to spend. But if they're spending, you know, a hundred bucks, you can ask them to spend like 20 to $30 more. And you have a little pop-up that shows up after they add the product to the cart and said, hey, you might also like this. And so it's you want it to kind of be as no-brainer as possible, right? And then mm-hmm. they hit the button and it adds to their cart. And if you think about when you shop in a store, in a retail store, if you go in to buy a pair of jeans, that sales associate is going to try and sell you a top. If you buy the top, they're going to try and sell you an accessory. And then when you go to the cash wrap, they're going to have all those little things, right? All those impulse buys. When you go to the grocery store, that's why all the candy and magazines are there. Like the person who created the end cap, very rich person. I actually know them. I met them once. Don't know them. Met them um, for creating that end cap that goes at the cash wrap. Like it's, it's all the psychology of buying and it's there for a reason. And you can create that on your website too. And this, you know, the reason why I like to focus on this is if you really step back and think about, there's really only three ways to grow your business, right? From a revenue perspective, you can one, get more new customers, two, you can bring them back more often, or three, you can get them to buy more when they're already shopping. And so, which is the of those is the easiest path of least resistance? (laughs) Yeah. That's why the developers hard code. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So for you, if you have a cross-sell app that shows up either after they add to cart or even after checkout, right? If you have like one item that everyone should buy and it's like lower ticket, no brainer, you can even do it after checkout when they've already committed to spending their money with you and put their credit card in and they can just like boop, one click, add that. Amazing results on that every time. I agree. That's that's a good idea. I mean, if nothing, just get a cross-sell app that does it better than you would do. Yeah. <laughs> with the totally. limited time you have. Not you personally, yeah. but I mean as the e-com owner. Yeah. Start with a cross-sell app and then hire someone with strategy that can really make it sing, you know. Yeah. And the other easy, easy way to do this is to just raise your free shipping threshold. So you know, we all have a free shipping threshold on our websites. And when was the last time you actually looked at the numbers? So if your free shipping threshold is at or below your current AOV, you need to raise it. Because I think the statistic is 60 to 70% of shoppers will add more products to their cart to get free shipping. And so I will if it's realistic. Yeah. I did yeah. that the other day. Something that I have something dumb I threw in just because exactly. like, oh man, I'm only like a few bucks short. <laughs> and then I put another 10 bucks. It was like a yes, food. A, it was a, oh, it was Chef S H E F. It's a food these ladies cook um in Boston. These uh like immigrant families come over and they have these amazing recipes from like India or Thailand or right. whatever. So they cook and they only deliver twice a week the service. So it was like, I bought two dishes and it was like 23 bucks. I needed 25 for free shipping. Boom. Yeah. And I'm paying 40, 39 bucks. 
there like, you oh, go. I'm not going to do 23 and then pay for shipping. Yeah, because there's I don't know something if- so annoying about paying for shipping because you're not getting anything for yeah. it, right? I'd rather buy a product that maybe I don't even need right now, but I'm like, oh, I'll use it eventually. At least I'm getting something tangible for it. Yes. Um, and you have to look at this regularly because like once you add the cross-sell app, for example, right? Your AOV is going to go up. And so you have to kind of keep your eye on I usually check it out every three to six months, depending upon how quickly my business is growing, of how often I'm looking at, do I need to raise my AOV? And it's just a little bit. It just needs to be a couple of bucks where they just need to add one more item to their Mm. cart. Yep. And they will. That's great. So when you start working with someone, do you have like a like a Google sheet, like an outline, or where's like your all your, cause you can't get to all of it when you first start. Or some people like, how do you go through your like Jessica checklist <laughs> of optimization? Like, yes. Yeah. So I really, I start out, I do like a mini little audit to figure out what do we need to prioritize. And I'll kind of balance that with what they think they need, which is not always what they actually need. Right. So often they're like, Oh, I need better conversion. I'm like, eh, actually the numbers tell me you need more traffic. So I'm really, I'm going to look at traffic conversion. I'm going to look at your marketing channels and I'm going to kind of look at email too, specifically, like how is that contributing um, and your return customer rate. So I'll usually check those out and see, you know, are you at or above benchmarks? And then how does that relate to your business? So if you are a hobby product, right, your return customer rate is naturally going to be higher, same as if you were a consumable product. But if you're just like a typical e-com store with a wide assortment, I want to see like 20% return. If you're way below that, there's probably a problem in your retention strategy. And so I kind of look at all those numbers and then we tackle whatever's going to get you the quickest results. So SEO is usually the last thing we do, even though it takes too long. <laughs> yes. Even though the sooner you do it, the sooner you yes. know you get results. I understand. I am a human. I understand <laughs> we need quick wins. It's the same reason why they tell you like, when you're paying off debt, you pay off the smallest debt, even if you have another one that has a higher interest rate, because you need that win so that you can like snowball that excitement. And so mm-hmm. I approach it the same way. Yeah, that's a good yeah. cycle. The snowball method. What's that? Guy? Dave Ramsey thought. See, of that. Yeah. Yes. When I was Dave getting out of the hole, I did that and uh, it felt great. Like just one per. I love crossing off a list. It's like yes. so satisfying. Yes. Sometimes I used to do this at work all the time because I would have like, at the end of the day, I would write my to-do list for the next day. And I was always, you know, pen to paper because I'm old school and it just feels better. But then throughout the day, someone would call me and ask me to do something. I'd get interrupted, but I would add those things to my list just so I could cross them off. (laughs) (laughs) Just the satisfaction of like, yeah, because otherwise you look at your to-do list and you don't cross off anything that you act like intended to do, but you did 12 other things and it looks like you did nothing. That's depressing. So I add the worst so I can cross them off. And I try to cross-reference the list with my calendar. Cause if I see something still lurking on the list or it's too meaty, mm. like I got to review these patents we're getting a lot of work. And I was like, I'm not going to do this if it's on a list. Now I got to cross-reference it with a calendar, which is more effective, but you know, we could talk for like two hours on that. Yeah. <laughs> Optimizing productivity. Optimizing your life. 
So uh, one other question I had was iOS 14.6 and then now iOS 15 with the email open drama, the metrics going to be a little wonky. What do you think? How bad is the 14.6 affected life for clients? And what do you think 15 is going to do good or bad? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to 14 and uh, not having that third party data, right? I don't directly do ads with clients. I have a very close partner that I send them all to. So we talk about this all the time and we kind of work together on my client strategy a little bit. But one of the reasons why I worked with her so much as it is, is because she has always focused more on interest-based audiences than relying on the algorithm to do all the work. And she did that because she worked with, you know, smaller budget clients and we didn't have time to just wait for Facebook to like figure it out. Like you need money to do that. And so her clients have seen almost no interruption in cold audience where the interruption comes is in the remarketing, which is what we expect. It's kind of amazing to me that I think the statistic is like 70% of people like opted out of Facebook tracking their information, which for me, I left it on. I'm like, cause I don't want to see irrelevant ads. Like, it's not like I'm not going to see ads. I'm just going to see ads that aren't based on my behavior. So I was kind of surprised, but also not surprised because people are weird about privacy, but The thing to remember is when you're talking about those interest-based ads is that is based on Facebook's first party data, which they can still use. The only thing we lost, right, is what we do on other websites and other apps. That's what Facebook can't see. So, you know, ads are by no means dead. I think a lot of people kind of got out of the ad market, which is probably also helping the people who hung in there, right? Mm -hmm. There's less competition. And so, Yes, it's changed things, but as marketers, that's always happening and we have to adapt. And I think this is really highlighting like the true strategists who use data um, and really understand their customer are still seeing plenty of success. And then the other big thing is to just make sure that you're using custom UTM parameters so you can see your data in your analytics reports. Um, cause those are still going to report beyond the Facebook seven days. Um, and really just understanding too, that there's a delay, there's just a delay. So like, I think people jump the gun a little bit in like, Oh, this isn't working. And so they like shut it off, but they never even gave it a chance to like catch traction. Yeah. Right. And it's like, no, but your reporting is delayed by like days. So chill. It's going to be fine. Like you got to just let it do its thing a little bit. Yeah. So, I find the delayed yeah. impact is significant. The delayed mm-hmm. conversions, like absolutely. when we show delayed conversions and no ad spend people, uh, some people until we train them up, will think that it's a bug in the right. software of it, but I'm not spending how are people buying. Well, they take their sweet, they don't, they're not on your schedule <laughs> on their own <laughs> totally. schedule, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah, because your business is not about you. It's about your customers. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this was great. Where um where can people learn more about you? Anything else? I mean, uh, the, the combo was great for me. Anything else you want to, that I missed anything? I feel very complete now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you are feeling complete. <laughs> I would just say, you know, going back to what I said in the very beginning, if you didn't feel like listening through this episode is just 
most of the time when you're making decisions, right? Just like put on your customer hat, really think about what they need when it comes to marketing and selling your product. Um, and just make it about them, make your copy about them. Like there is so much feedback and data that they are giving you. We're just not reading it. Like just because you can't have a conversation with them like you would in person doesn't mean that they're not talking to you. So when you look at your email stats, for example, let's say you send out an email and you feature a particular product and you get a ton of people looking at it, but like nobody buys. Well, then that's them telling you, I didn't really care about this product. Or if you post something on social and they don't engage with it because they really just weren't that into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's all these little clues. We just need to follow them. And then my other number one thing would be go look at your reviews, the comments people leave on your social media, the replies that you get, the customer service inquiries that you get, all of your answers are in there. And that's your customer telling you what they like, what they don't like, what you can do better, what you totally suck at. Um, and then you can take action from that feedback. And then you can find me in all the places as e-commerce badassery. Awesome. (laughs) So that was great. Where can people track you down, find out more, get more of the vibe? Where are they going to go? Yeah. So the website is e-commerce badassery, social handles, e-commerce badassery in all the places. Great. Okay. Thanks a lot, Jessica. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Scott. 